passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast, another exciting edition of the HGC podcast. I'm Stephen Igo. I'm joined, as always, by Jonathan Wagner. We are recapping the Greenville Regional and the Pirates, as we both predicted, sweep the regional field. They go 3-0. and Man, they were three gritty, hard, long games, but the Pirates win the Greenville Regional. They are advancing to the Super Regional for the sixth time in program history for the second consecutive season. Of course, the 2020 season was canceled. But, Jonathan, uh, man, what a season it has been to this point. What a weekend it was in Clark Leclerc Stadium. 12.56 a.m. was the final out and the dog pile, and it was still packed inside Clark Leclerc Stadium. And what a weekend. What a weekend. I mean, there's not really much more to say, I don't think. You can probably hear it in my voice, but I was in the stands Friday, Saturday, Sunday for every game, whether ECU played or not, I was there. But just having the place packed again, having the 5,000 strong inside Clark LeClaire Stadium, it was amazing. It was, I was glad I was able to be a part of it. And it was a special weekend. It's been a weird, weird season. Weird last two years, really. So ending the at least home part of the season on a note like that. It's something that it's going to stick with me for a while. I know it's going to stick with the team for a while and, you know, being, being there until 1am worth, worth every second, worth every second. So it was a fun weekend. So Ronnie and I, Ronnie Woodward from the daily reflector, you know, we were covering the game and like, we were just dead tired and we, we ended up leaving after the press conference zoom, I think, which by the time we got done, it was like one, 30 145 I don't know I didn't go to bed till like 3 30 because of writing and doing stuff felt like I was back in college again um but we uh we ran into a few of the players on the way out including Zach Agnos and um who apparently has a thing for running into uh either Jonathan or I after games but um we ran into him on the way to the parking lot and like me and Ronnie are just like trudging along dead tired and and I asked Zach I'm like aren't you tired man he's like no like we just won, we just won the regional. I'm going all straight to adrenaline. You know, typical Agnos and uh, man, he he looked like he could have played a whole another game, which I'm sure he crashed at some point later on in the wee hours of the morning. But man, just uh, phenomenal atmosphere. You know, major kudos to the Pirate Nation. You know, I posted something on the the Hoist the Colors message board, but there aren't many fan bases that are going to stay up till 1 a.m. to watch a college baseball game, no matter how important it is, with a with a full stadium. Um, 
and support the boys like that. I mean, it just, it just goes to show how important ECU athletics is, how important ECU baseball is, and it's what makes this place so special. Um, it's just it was just awesome. I mean, it, going through the pandemic and then to see a full stadium all weekend long uh, was, was such a rewarding feeling, and it had to be for the player. I, I think too, and we'll get more into this. We're going to break down each individual game, but. I mean, we all know that the regional was won on Saturday. And really, I feel like the crowd more so, and obviously the players made some huge plays, but I feel like the crowd willed that team to victory. And really all weekend long, Jonathan, it was just a a phenomenal atmosphere. And, um, you know, I can't say enough about the Pirate Nation for showing out the way they did. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me personally, like the program and the team, it means everything to me. You know, when I came in my freshman year, I just had a liking to the program. It brought me back into baseball after I kind of fell off for a couple of years after I stopped playing. And so the team means a lot to me. So having a weekend like this, and it, it, it's awesome. And, yeah, like you said, you know, Zach Agnos, of course, the last two games against Charlotte and Maryland the last two nights, after we celebrated in the stands after the final pitch was thrown, the dog pile, all that stuff, we ran over to where the players um run out, waited for him, greeted him, talked to him there. And the Zach Agnos bear hug last night was pure emotion, pure adrenaline. It was awesome. And just seeing how fired up the players were last night, you could tell just how much they appreciated the fans out there. And it was, it was a great weekend all around. And But I do agree. I think the crowd really willed the team to victory. And as Cliff Godwin said, after Saturday and after Sunday, I don't know if the weekend plays out how it does without the crowd being as jam-packed and as loud as it was. So it was a really solid all-around weekend. Man, uh, all right, let's dive into each one of these games. Uh, I feel like we're both running on fumes, but speaking of adrenaline, it's carrying us through this podcast. Um, We always go into each individual game, and I feel like every single one of these games just took on a life of its own. I mean, obviously that's what sports does. You have these games that, you know, each individual game is a separate entity, but like sometimes you have some pretty nondescript games, but no, these games had like specific moments and it felt like every single inning was just an absolute grind. And that is postseason baseball. So it makes it so great and so tedious at the same time. Um, so let's start with Friday. And of course, ECU makes the decision to play the early game against Norfolk State and you know, really, Jonathan, I thought this team did not look like itself in the in the regional opener, much like they didn't look like themselves for part of the Quinnipiac game a couple of years ago. They just never really seemed to settle down until the Thomas Francisco home run in the sixth inning. Of course, Norfolk State, you know, kudos to those guys for executing a very specific game plan, speed, bunt. They put in pressure. They were being aggressive on ECU, and I think it kind of got to ECU, but um, it was just a matter of they needed to find a way to win game one, and they did that. It wasn't pretty. They get out hit 10-6, to six, but they take advantage of four Norfolk State errors, and then the Francisco homer was really the turning point. Yeah, it, it wasn't pretty, and I think it just kind of set the scene up for a weekend that wouldn't be pretty all around. It was a hard-fought, contested um, weekend, and I thought Norfolk State brought something that ECU really hasn't seen all year. You know, Norfolk State, I thought – I was impressed. I thought they were a really gritty team. You know, James Deloach, he he ended up walking six batters, but he pushed through through 113 pitches. And I thought he he pitched really well. 
But, I mean, Norfolk State got off to an early start, and you kind of started to think, oh, good, here we go. You know, we start wasn't on game one. Me and you, I think, both agreed that was the right call. Wisnon didn't, I think, look – I don't think he looked like himself. But Garrett Saylor came in. He pitched well out of the bullpen. A.J. Wilson got two big strikeouts. And then you go to your big three from there, and Cam Colmore, C.J. Mayhew, and Matt Bridges setting up another impressive weekend for those three as well. But, yeah, offensively, I thought the Francisco Homer was obviously the big moment, the big turning point in the game. But it was a gritty, gritty game, one that was probably a lot closer than a lot of people expected it to be. But credit Norfolk State, I thought they were gritty, and they hung with us. I'm not going to lie, I didn't expect them to. But they did. They proved me wrong. And they were just kind of that pesky team that wouldn't go away. And they, they stuck with ECU for nine innings, and credit to them for that. Yeah, their starter, Jane Deloach, entered the weekend with like 40-something walks and 60-something innings, but a really low batting average against. And he lived up to that exact reputation. You know, he he walked six guys. He hit two more. He only gave up four hits, though, in five and two-thirds. But the last one... Why would you pitch to Thomas Francisco with the base open uh, in that situation? They opted to throw a 3-2 changeup, like Ronnie Woodward said on the postgame, to Thomas. It just kind of floated up there, and uh, Francisco didn't miss it. Uh, it was a floater, and it floated uh, well over the right field fence for a three-run homer. Pirates win the game 8-5 to five to stay in the winner's bracket. Uh, in advance to to Saturday, you know the post game. It almost felt like we were interviewing a losing team because Cliff Godwin, I think, was so not upset, but and not disappointed. But I think he expected his team to play better. And you know, you never know once you get into the postseason. But they win and they get to Saturday's game. And uh, so let's move forward. Charlotte beats Maryland thirteen to ten in a slugfest. Hit a bunch of home runs, and we get to Saturday. And you know, I, I'll be honest, going into this game, Jonathan, I thought. I really thought ECU was going to roll. Uh, you know, Gavin Williams was on the mound. They entered the game. Having won all 10 starts he had started this year, outscoring opponents 94-16. to 16. And I kind of felt like this would be a similar game. You know, I felt like Charlotte would be overwhelmed. Gavin would be uh, sharp. But it didn't turn out that way. And uh, they, they were on Gavin Williams' fastball. His velocity was a little down, more in the 93 range, more so than 94-95. Um, and they did a good job early of putting ECU behind the eight ball. And then we get into the late innings. We'll, we'll break this down kind of piece by piece. But the Pirates end up storming back, two in the seventh, three in the eighth. Uh, Matt Bridges, tremendous in, re- in relief to get the win, two and a third innings to improve to 5-0 on the year. But this this ended up being, to me, the championship game of the regional. To go to 2-0, we talked about the importance of that. The Pirates end up doing it. Epic comeback. The crowd wills them to victory. This is going to be one of those games we remember for a long, long time. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, you know, Gavin Williams coming out and starting, it was probably... I don't want to say his worst outing of the year, but it was probably his worst outing of the year. Um, you know, gave up the four-run spot in the third and then the solo home run in the seventh. I thought, like you said, his velocity looked a little bit down on his fastball. I thought he, tr- he had trouble locating his off-speed pitches as well a little bit. You know, once he got some – he got some early swing and misses with his off-speed, but I think at some point Charlotte just decided we're not going to swing. 
and we're going to wait for that fastball. And they were all in the fastball. And they gave Gavin trouble. But Gavin, really, he settled down after the third. Scoreless every other inning except for that and the seventh inning leadoff homer. But Gavin pitched well. And, you know, ECU started to piece together offense late, big seventh inning, big eighth inning. And once once you got into that seventh and eighth inning, that's that's when the crowd really began to become alive. And you know that's that's when you knew the regional was won. After that eighth inning, when ECU took that seven to five lead, and then Matt Bridges shut the door. Like you said, the regional was won at that point. There was no way that ECU was going to lose after that. I think Tyler Smith said the same thing post game. You know, after that, they weren't losing. So it was a fun. It was, it was very loud, very energetic from both the players, the crowd, everywhere. And, you know, credit to Gavin Williams for pushing through. Credit for Matt Bridges. Had a huge weekend. This team doesn't win without Matt Bridges this weekend. This team probably doesn't win a game without Matt Bridges this weekend. So credit to him. And the offense did what they had to do late after a slow start. So it was nice to see them piece it together. Yeah, we got to mention the pretty – big brilliance of uh, Charlotte coach Robert Woodard to go with Trey Starnes as the starter. I think we all assumed, and I'm pretty sure that ECU probably assumed Bryce McGowan would be the starter, the hard-throwing right-hander, likely MLB draft pick in July, and instead Charlotte kind of throws a curveball, starts a lefty who's more of a relief guy, and the dude pitches his ass off. I mean, six innings, five. You know, his line doesn't look as good as what he pitched because a couple inherited runners scored. Uh, but he had ECU guessing all game and, you know, really just pitching backwards, getting the edges uh, but with the help of the home plate blue. But it wasn't until the bottom of the seventh that he kind of got tired because he just had not, you know, he, had, he was on a career-high pitch count, career-high innings pitch, and he just finally ran out of gas. Bryson Worrell, let's go step-by-step step through this thing, Jonathan. We'll start with the seventh. Bryson Worrell with a tremendous at-bat in the seventh inning. Um, let me count it here. Eight pitch at-bat, works a leadoff walk after getting down uh, one and two or two and two in the count to, uh, to work a leadoff walk. And then – uh, Lane Hoover hit by a pitch as he's kind of bunting, you know, doing his little slash fake bunt deal uh, that he always does. And it works this time in terms of, you know, getting to Starnes. He tries to throw inside and said it clips Hoover on the hand. And then after review, they, they rule that it did hit him. So runners at first and second. And then Charlotte opts to go to McGowan, who I'm sure ECU had well scouted. Uh, they end up advancing the, the runners on... It, it was ruled a wild pitch, but I think it was more of a pass ball because the catcher just dropped it. I think it was a strike. But um, then Seth Cadell comes through with a, a big 0-2 RBI ground out. It doesn't seem like a huge deal, but honestly, you know, when Cadell's down 0-2, he does his best to make contact against a really good pitcher, which was a key at bat to make it 5-3. to And then Joey Barini comes off the bench. I think this may have been his first RBI of the year, Jonathan. Um, the freshman shortstop. Pinch hitting for Ryder Giles against the tough righty. And you know, at the time, I was like, interesting that they're going Barini over Riley Johnson, who has a little more experience. Well, what do you know? Cliff Godwin knows what he's doing, uh, and he always lets us hear about it. So <laughs> we'll give him props for this. Barini first pitch swinging lines an RBI single into the outfield, and that was a huge moment because it cut the game to 5-4. to, five to four. Yeah, Joey Barini, I think it's interesting looking back 
I think it was – I don't remember if it was a South Florida series or if it was the conference tournament, but there was another key late-inning moment where Joey Barini pinch hit for Ryder Giles. I think he let off that inning, and he had a single up the middle, started a rally, scored a run, and what do you know? Joey Barini comes into a big spot with runners on base, and like you said, first career RBI, down the left field line, and I don't think ECU wins this game without that Joey Barini hit. I think it's it's a heck of a spot for a true freshman to come in, you know, in a regional, really, a, I would say a must-win game. It's not a must-win game, but you really need to win that game if you're ECU. And Joey Barini came through. I was the same way. I was kind of like, why Joey Barini? But, hey, he proved me wrong. He proved me wrong last time, and I'm not going to doubt him again. And it just – it capped off a solid seventh inning, and then Riley Johnson came in, pinch ran. But it was a really big spot, and that seventh inning was just kind of the start of what would prove to be a big late-inning resurgence. And it was a – it was a good start because when McGowan came in, I was, I had mixed feelings. I was, part of me was like, Oh, great. You know, McGowan, he has good stuff. But part of me was like, I don't think he's going to be the same McGowan that he is when he's starting games on Saturdays. So McGowan came in and he did not pitch great. I didn't think ECU was on him. They drew walks, good at bats. They were ready. Like you said, well scouted and ECU took over from there and that would be all she wrote. Bottom of the eighth, again, uh, I think Johnson, yeah, Johnson caught stealing on a play that, that in the bottom of the seventh, it looked like he may have been safe, but they ruled him out. Uh, he was safe. Yeah, Norby walks, <laughs> and then Francisco grounds out. So, you know, ECU still trailing, going to the eighth. Uh, Bridges gets a big double play in the top of the eighth, and then, you know, gets uh, another ground out on, to the pitcher, you know, runs over Elwood at first base just to add a little drama. Uh, and then we go to the bottom of the eighth, uh, McGowan's still in, and like we said, you know, McGowan, great stuff, but a little wild. Josh Moreland, I thought, led off the inning with a solo home run, but instead it just died on the warning track. Uh, he hit the ball well. It just, I guess, too much air, just missed it. Uh, and then Alec Makarevich comes up, and uh, four-pitch walk to Amac, who's not a guy who, who walks a ton, but that was a huge base runner. And then Zach Agnos with arguably the at-bat of the game that people won't remember, but he gets down 0-2, foul ball, foul ball, and then four straight balls to work a huge walk to put runners on first and second. And then Bryson Worrell, who robbed a home run earlier in the game with a bum shoulder, gets down 1-2, and two, then works a 2-2 count, and then crushes a double. I think it was an off-speed pitch past the first baseman to tie it. And we'll talk about this at bat first before we get to the Hoover at bat. Jonathan, uh, I think this particular bat is the loudest Clark Leclerc was all weekend. Just because you can kind of feel the tension of ECU's down. They need a big hit to tie it. And when that ball got past the first baseman, man, that place uh, exploded. Yeah, I mean, I was in the section. I was in 101, you know, right there by first base where the first base coach stands. And when I saw that ball get through, I agree. Everyone, you know, you know how it is. Everyone just – you see the crowd just rise and everyone gets up. It just gets progressively louder, just just like that, by the snap of a finger. And that ball was a rocket. Bryson got a hold of that ball. And like you said, Bryson played a big role in this game with that robbed homer. And he had another one later in the game. He didn't. I don't know if he quite robbed a homer, but there was a ball hit to the track, and, and he kind of 
jumped a little bit. I don't know if it would have been gone, but from my eyes, it kind of looked like it might have been. So I'm going to say he robbed two homers. And, you know, he had the hit of the game. And you kind of have a feeling when you're sitting there, you know, this is the game right here. If ECU can't push across this run, you know, I don't think they're going to come back. I don't think they're going to win this game. And Bryson came through, and he was able to just keep the line moving, gets to second base, puts runners on second and third to set up for Hoover's at bat. And then Lane Hoover's up, one out. Everybody in the building knows there's a damn squeeze play coming. Uh, Charlotte has the infield in. ECU tries the suicide squeeze. Um, I think Agnos was off on the pitch, and it was a little outside. Hoover fouled it off. So then at that point, you know, you're probably not going to try back-to-back squeeze plays. And Hoover gets down in the count one to two again, gets a, a ball to work the count to two to two. And um, then McGowan looked like he tried to go to a high fastball to put Hoover away. And Hoover just classic Hoover, um, you know, kind of slaps it into the outfield for a huge two run single. Then another massive crowd pop as not only does Agno score the go ahead run, but then Worrell slides in safely for the second run. Um, and the crowd went ape, and Corey Glore, if you listen to his replay, lost his voice, uh, which is an awesome moment uh, as well on the audio side. Um, but that was a huge spot for Lane Hoover, you know, to, to obviously take it from a tie game to a lead at that point, seven to five. And I was honestly shocked that Charlotte had the outfield playing at normal depth because we know Hoover, classic, loves to dump those little shallow singles into the outfield, um, and he did there, and. And it was awesome, too, leading up to the at-bat right before the pitch. Jonathan, everybody was going, hoove, and and then he comes up with the hit. So uh, another great moment in that inning, and that proved to be the uh, game-winning hit. Yeah, I mean, I think um, – I thought the outfield was even not, not even playing normal. I thought they were playing a little back, almost as if they were playing a no-doubles type of, you know, alignment, which I thought was, like you said, weird against a guy like Hoover. And he drops one of his classic Lane Hoover singles into the outfield. And, yeah, the crowd was chanting Hoover before. And if you thought they were allowed chanting Hoover before, they were that much better after the hit. And it was unfortunate on the next play. You know, Seth Cadell lines a really hard hit ball right to second base. Hoover gets caught and ends up being a double play. I think Hoover was beating himself up a little bit. But that can't take away Lane Hoover, like you said, the go-ahead RBI. You know, probably the turning point, him and Bryson, the, those two at-bats were this whole inning, really, with, like you said, that AMAC walk, the Agnos walk, and then Bryson and Hoover coming through with those big hits. You know, this regional doesn't go the same, go the way it does without this inning. And, yeah, like you said, the, the place was just loud. I, I can't say it enough. The place was rocking. No matter how late we got through the night, you know, Clark LeClaire was awesome. The players were awesome. They fed off of it. And Lane Hoover came through. I think he's cooled off a little bit in the second half of the season, but there's no better time to come through with a big hit than the spot that he did. And he sure as hell did it. And it was a it was a really awesome moment. I don't know if I think Hoover may have had one or two more hits on the weekend, but I put him on the all conference tournament team just because of that hit. Um same way with World. Like that that moment, you know, you'll look back at, at this regional and people will remember the world hit the world home run rob, they'll remember this game first and foremost, and they'll remember Matt Bridges for reasons we'll talk about, including that the fact he closed out the ninth in a 1-2-3 inning. 
Uh, they remember Hoover's go-ahead hit, but this is the game people will remember years from now. Of course, they'll remember the dog power for the Maryland game, but the comeback, you know, this is the game that people will remember just because it was so, so damn epic. So, yeah, Matt Bridges gets the win, 5-0 and on the year. His second straight day, he closes out the game with a 1-2-3 um, ninth inning or a scoreless ninth inning as he gets the job done against Charlotte. So let's move into Sunday. Maryland eliminates Charlotte with a, another gut punch of a loss as they walk off the 49ers. It's a shame. Charlotte's great season. You know, if they win that game, they very well may win the regional. Instead, they end up going 1-2. and two. So then we get into Sunday. Very little pitching left for Maryland. Uh, some pitching left for ECU. We knew it would be by committee. Uh, Jake Kuchmaner gets the start. Of course, you know, pitched pretty well, I thought, outside of the, the leadoff home run. Uh, did have to work around some jams. But ECU ends up using six different pitchers, gets some early offense. Um, and really, you know, this was kind of a, I don't want to say a painful game to watch, but, it, you know, Maryland does a great job, we talked about in the pregame podcast, of working counts getting on base via the free passes. They were not an easy out all night. Neither was ECU. And you combine that with the pitching changes, and the game took four hours and 20 minutes after Tarpgate, which we'll talk about in a minute. But um, So the game did not end until 12.56 a.m. But the Pirates grounded out at bats. Maryland grounded out at bats. Unfortunately for Maryland, ECU is just too much in the end. Huge three spot in the eighth to turn a 5-4 to four lead into a 9 Six adv- or nine to eight to five advantage, eight to four advantage. Jesus, uh, this was a long night. So, eight <laughs> to four advantage. Zach Agnos's double uh, <clears throat> with two outs. That was kind of the the first time I felt like the building could breathe. Of course, they would hit a two run homer in the bottom of the eighth, but it it was over because Matt Bridges came on and he slammed the door for the third consecutive day. More dominance from Matt Bridges, one and a third. 3Ks, gets a strikeout to end it. Uh, kind of an awkward check swing finish, but the Pirates get the uh, the call and the Pirates dogpile as they beat Maryland 9-6 to on Sunday to sweep the, the Greenville Regional. Yeah, you know, who um, correctly predicted a 3-0 and weekend for ECU, and I guess I'll take this time to say that we also both predicted that Maryland would be the team that would you know, be there at the end with ECU, and they were. And Maryland, I didn't think um, over the first couple of games, really, I didn't think their their pitching was that great. And you could just tell that, you know, once they got into their bullpen, it really dropped off. But we say that, and Maryland beat Norfolk State 16 nothing in an elimination game. And then Maryland came out, beat Charlotte in a 2-1 to one really pitcher's duel. And then they came in, and I thought, that, like you said, this was a game where you really couldn't breathe. And it's funny to say because ECU led from the third batter of the game on. You know, ECU got off to the one nothing start with a Josh Moylan double. Mac- Alec Makarevich with another RBI single to go up 2 nothing in the first. And then Shaw for Maryland, he had a heck of a day. Homer in two consecutive at-bats in the first and the third. And it was 4-2, to two, you know, through three. And then another one, Josh Moreland, what do you know? Hit by pitch, RBI. And, you know, you take them how they come, but Maryland goes to their bullpen and he hits Thomas Francisco and Josh Moreland on the first two pitches he throws. But after that, he really settled in and he pitched well from the fourth to the seventh. I think he pitched three innings. 
But UCU's offense, you know, another big eighth inning. What do you know? Josh Moylan, another RBI. Fielder's choice brings in another the run. And then I think Zach Agnos, his RBI double was, like you said, it was kind of when the place got as electric as it was last night. That double kind of blew the roof off the place. And it was another big at-bat by Zach Agnos. I think the numbers don't always show it. They haven't all year. But Zach Agnos is, is a heck of a baseball player. He has some great at-bats. Even if he's getting out, he's working the count. Even when he's getting out, they're productive outs. And he comes through with big hits. He just missed a homer. I believe it was earlier in the game to right right center. I think it went right to the warning track. But big at-bat by Zach Agnos. And what do you know again? Matt Bridges comes in and shuts the door to lock things up for ECU. And it was one of the more memorable games along with the Charlotte game that will stick with me for a long time. We had to mention, too, in that eighth inning, um, it was a 5-4 to four game, but the hustle of Thomas Francisco and Josh Moylan to beat out those potential double play balls, not exactly the guys who are the fleetest of foot, but Francisco's, you know, busting his tail allowed uh, Moylan to bat with runners at the corners, and then Moylan busting his tail to beat out the throw. Uh, allowed the run to score to make it 6-4, to four, then AMAC follows with a single, and then Agnos with a huge two-run double to really bust it open. Um, cool, too, that Cam Colmore, Tyler Smith, and Matt Bridges all pitch in the final game of their careers inside Clark Eclair Stadium, barring some type of uh, seventh-year waiver for uh, Bridges and Colmore. Um, so just a, a, a huge, huge weekend inside Clark Eclair Stadium. And the thing that you know, I do feel like, you know, I want to talk a little bit about Tarp Gate, but we'll, we'll talk more about kind of the feeling after this game. I do feel like just from post game that this was more, hey, we expected this. We still have more to do, especially Matt Bridges and Cliff Gowden. Like when they won the 2019 regional, it kind of felt like not that they were satisfied, but they were so exhausted. They had to exert so much energy coming out of the loser's bracket. It, were, it really was a euphoric feeling. Not that last night was not, but I just get the vibe that this team is not nowhere near satisfied and they enjoyed the moment, but I still think there's clearly more work to do. As uh, as Matt Bridges said, we're not done, which I thought was a pretty big takeaway from the postgame. Yeah, I think that was the, the quote that really stood out to me when I watched it later on. You know, they're going to enjoy this while they can, but when they get back into the team building today, I'm sure they're there now. It's back to business. You know, now they got to focus on Vanderbilt. And that I think that's a good mindset to have. You know, we're not finished. I don't care how successful we are. I don't care how well we've done in the past. It's all about what we're going to do next weekend. What are you going to do on Friday? What are you going to do on Saturday? What are you going to do on Sunday? Because they're not done. I mean, they have bigger sides set. I have bigger sides set as a fan. I think we all do. So it's not it's nice to see that mindset. And you know, it's I think it's important that ECU did go three and zero this weekend. Um, especially after water, you know, losing that first game and having to give up so much just to get to the semifinal game in Clearwater in the conference tournament, you know, getting off to to those that three and zero start this weekend and grinding through it, it wasn't pretty. But really I was impressed by the effort. They stuck with it. They didn't give up. And 
they found a way to go 3-0. Good teams find a way to win, even when you're not playing your best. And they did that this weekend. And, yeah, they're not done. And I'm excited to see how they come out next weekend. We'll talk about that later, about the matchup. But they're not done. And I think that's a that's the correct mindset to have if you want to go the distance and make it where you want to go. Yeah, you know, Matt Bridges and Cam Colmore and Tyler Smith, they did not come back to win a regional. <clears throat> they came back to, to win a Super Regional. So that's the, that's the mindset. That's how it should be. And I, I don't want to say it's routine at this point because, you know, winning a regional is never routine. But when you're winning three regionals now in a span of five years, uh, dating back to 2016, that's pretty damn impressive. So um, that's big time. And that speaks to the level of, of the program for, for Cliff Galvin. Um, and now – Bridges and Colmore have now been a part of three regional championship teams, the only two players in ECU history to do that, which speaks for a lot. But as we said, they're not done. All right, we got to talk about Tarpgate before we talk about Vanderbilt, Jonathan. Um, all right, so were you in the stadium when all this unfolded, or did you walk up after after all this was happening? Well, I expect to catch some flack for this one, but I was coming from the street that's right across from Clark LeClaire, right across Charles, and the second we left to start walking over, that's when, you know, there were a couple drops scattered around. I remember texting you saying it's raining across the street. And you said, this is the definition of a scattered storm. Because, I mean, even each individual drop, it was like two seconds in between. It was all over the place. And it was daylight. And it was daylight. But by the time I got to Charles Boulevard, um, I could barely see in front of me because it was raining so hard. I was soaked already, and then I got into the stadium, and I kind of sat down there for a little bit under the concourse where everyone was, and then I said, enough of this crap. I want to go see. So I went up there, and I looked, and the infield was underwater, and underwater I don't think even describe, really does justice to how bad it looked. You know, I don't know how the heck it happened. Uh, I wasn't there. I don't know, but – I was just kind of like, we're going to be here a while. It's going to be a long night. But we made it through the first two days at a regional without rain. So I think something like this happening is the most fitting ECU regional there could ever possibly be. Yeah, the good thing is we made the under for a number of delays. We just had a really painful long one to close out the regional. As That was the only delay. But now all six, and I have fact-checked this, all six regionals, that ECU has hosted, Wilson, Kinston, Greenville, otherwise, have been delayed, impacted by weather, however you want to phrase it, including this one. So um, so a couple things here. All right, number one, this truly did, you know, this truly was 100% a pop-up shower. The radar was completely clear, and it just formed out of nowhere, like right over the stadium um, and hit. So, like, I don't blame ECU for not being, like, for not having the tarp on the field ready to go. Like, it truly hit out of nowhere. Um, the bigger issue was, A, the players who normally help unroll the tarp, they can't do it during the regional due to, I guess, COVID protocols per the NCAA. So you got the grounds crew and I assume the ops people. So you have less people, less people that are familiar with it. And it, it looked like, and I'm not a tarp expert, but it looked like it was not put up properly because they could not unroll it or they were struggling to unroll it. And so by the time they got it on the field, like they were unrolling it and it was it was raining pretty good. But then by the time that they couldn't unroll it, 
uh, it was raining so much that there was so much water on the tarp, they couldn't even move it. And then at that point, the field was so soaked and underwater that there was no point of putting the tarp on the field because then if you're moving the tarp at that point, you're just adding more water to the area surrounding the field. So it was it was a tough situation. You know, it was unfortunate. Um, you know, I do wish that, you know, maybe the tarp was put up better so they could have it more easily rolled out or maybe they do like a fire drill situation where, hey, if if there's a shower that hits out of nowhere, here's how we need to handle this. Um, and it did hit it out of nowhere and it was unfortunate because it delayed the game. But, you know, nobody will remember it because ECU won. <laughs> if ECU would have lost, uh, <laughs> oh man, what a nightmare that would have been. Uh, if they would have lost at 1 a.m. and then we had to interview Cliff Goblin. But, um, you know, I'm not going to rag on ECU for, for the situation. It was unfortunate, I'll say that. And at least they won. But it was, I guess it makes for a memorable experience since we had to wait till 1 a.m. To, to clinch it instead of uh, 11 p.m. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, was, I wasn't at my house. I don't live across the street. I live probably 10, 15 minutes away from the stadium. So I couldn't really go back and, you know, get a change of clothes. So I was soaked all night and it's very memorable for sure. But I was kind of thinking, you know, how the heck does something like this happen? And, but you know, it worked out. I think they did a good job of getting the field ready. Once that random shower just kind of disappeared, I think it just popped up and it kind of disappeared. So I think the I think they did a good job at getting the field ready because it was in rough shape um, when it was all said and done. I've never seen a baseball field that underwater. It was crazy. So kudos on fixing it and making us able to play last night. But it was memorable. You know, you said we won't remember it. I will remember it probably um, all the time. But, you know, like I said, it was a fitting end. And I tweeted it out last night. I think I said I, I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, obviously I would prefer to be dry, but, you know, what's a Greenville Regional without rain? It's part of the experience. I'm used to it by this point. And it's just one of those things that we're going to remember when we look back, and it's going to be one of those unique, unique nights. And I'm also glad that UCU was able to win that game because, oh, boy, I, I think it played in the Maryland's favor, you know, having to sit around a little bit since they played earlier in the day you know, give them a little bit more time to kind of rest and relax. I believe they went back to the hotel and, you know, but they found a way and it was just the start of a close, tight and very interesting night and really a weekend as a whole. And a very, uh, you know, very major kudos to Joey Perry and the the grounds crew for being able to get that thing ready. Because when I left, so Ronnie and I were just like, all right, I'm not, we're not sitting here in this press box for the next two and a half hours. Like I got to get out of here and like go drink a beer. So we went to uh, Angus Grill and um saw a couple of uh, ECU football players there chilling. So you know we we mixed it up with them. We were definitely the oldest people there, uh, the Angus Grill downtown. But uh, we we killed some time. And then we came back to cover the game. But, man, uh, the, the field from when we left and then when we came back was so night and day. So I honestly thought there was a chance they would not be able to fix the field and it would get delayed into Monday. So, um, you know, major kudos to those guys for finding a way to fix it in what truly was a disaster of a situation, to be quite frank. Um, you know, potentially out of ECU's control to most extent, but, you know, just a, a tough situation that they rebounded and were able to get the game in. So the Pirates sweep the Greenville Regional. And Jonathan, 
Now we look forward as we sit here on Monday afternoon and record this. We don't know exactly when ECU will be playing, but we do know they will be playing at Vanderbilt. And what better way to get through your first Super Regional into Omaha for the first time than go through the defending champions and two top five picks in the upcoming Major League Baseball draft and a pitching staff that's only letting teams hit 187 against them and a team that is batting 300 on offense with 86 home runs in the SEC. It's a heck of a matchup. You know, you texted me earlier today and you said, easy road to Omaha. Right. And, man, I mean, couldn't ask for a better matchup. I mean, but no. I mean, I think ECU's mindset is, you know, they're not done, like we said. And I think in order to be to be the best and to achieve the ultimate goal, you're going to have to beat quality teams. You're going to have to beat the best teams that are out there. National champions, defending national champs in Vanderbilt, that's a heck of a task. But I think we saw it in Vanderbilt's regional. You know, those teams stuck with them. Uh, I believe they played Presbyterian, and I believe that was their four. You know, Presbyterian hung with them for a little bit. And and then Georgia Tech, you know, took them into 11 innings last night. So to me, that shows if you can get through the first two games against Vanderbilt and just find a way to steal a win against one of Rocker or Leiter, you're in a position to win a game three. You know, Vanderbilt's obviously a very good team. Like you said, offensively pitching, you know, they're good. They have it all. But every team is beatable. Baseball is a game. We've said it all year. Any team can come out and win a game on any given day. You never know who's going to come out and pitch poorly, who's going to pitch the best game of their career. So anything is possible. I think it's going to be a very tough task. But I think with what we saw this weekend and what we've seen all year from ECU, they don't back down and they don't give up. I think they're a gritty team, and they've shown that they're able to fight back in tough situations when people might count them out. And I think the fact that people will count them out will probably add fuel to their fire. And I don't know. I think we're going to see a closer weekend than people expect, just based on what I've seen, predictions and that kind of stuff so far. I think ECU might steal a game, at least. So I'll leave it at that. But it's going to be a tough task. And I'm working right now to figure out how I'm going to make it to Nashville. So I'll keep you guys updated with that, too. Yeah, for as good as Vanderbilt's program is, they really have kind of a a small stadium. I think it only holds 35, 3,700. I was looking at their regional. They only, I think the max attendance they had was around 3,200. So it's going to be a hot ticket. You know, Nashville is a huge place. I don't know how much interest there really is in Vanderbilt baseball, but you know, a lot of ECU fans will want to go. And obviously the Vanderbilt fans that do exist for baseball will want to go. So, um, and I would imagine ECU gets a pretty good primetime spot when you're going up against Kumar, Rocker, and Jack Leiter. ESPN is going to want to highlight those guys, so it'll be interesting to see what the TV spot is. You know, the thing is, ECU just has to play its game and not get caught up in the hype. Like, I, I might sound like a coach right now, but if they continue to grind out at bats and, like, uh, you know, I really think the, like, a lot of people hate on the bunning and the annoying slash and all that stuff, but that's the type of stuff that could work against Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. Like, yesterday they're throwing 95 to 97 with wipeout stuff, but, like, put the game in motion. Yeah, those guys are great athletes, but I don't think many teams in the SEC are doing a bunch of bunting and slashing and all that stuff, and maybe that kind of gets to them a little bit. Um, So we'll see, but their numbers are elite. 
the guys they have are elite. They're probably pound for pound the most talented team in college baseball. You know, Arkansas might be ahead of them. They're definitely more talented than Texas. You know, Tennessee's up there, but Vandy, top end talent is elite. So ECU's just got to play its game. They got to grind out at bats. They got to be tough. They're going to have to scrap and claw for every run they get, and that's fine. They can win that way. Georgia won a series at Vanderbilt earlier this year, and they didn't even make the tournament. So they're not un- invincible. It can be done. It'll just be a monumental task. Uh, Jonathan, we'll have a ton more. We'll have a, a Super Regional Preview podcast, I think, later in the week. I'm planning to go to Nashville as well to cover the series, so we'll work on how we're going to get it done. But um, ECU is in its sixth Super Regional, and they're going to lace them up, and they're going to play it next weekend in Nashville for the right to go to Omaha. And if that doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what will. I'm pumped up, you know, after making the trip to Clearwater, after being there this weekend, and, you know, really all season long, you know, we've been there. Everyone, everyone here has been there. And this is, I think this is a special team and, you know, the season, it might be winding down, but like we keep, we've said all podcasts, you know, hopefully it's not done yet. There's hopefully at least three more games to go and then more beyond that. But, you know, this weekend, if ECU can pull off the task and, um, you know, expect the unexpected this weekend, that's what I'm going to say. Cause if ECU does come out and they, they beat Vandy, and they punched their first ticket to Omaha in program history. It's going to be electric, and I'm pumped. I'm excited. I've I've never been more invested in a program than I am right now with ECU baseball. So I, I'm pumped. I'm excited. I think it's going to be a great finish of the season, and I think this team is special. So I'm excited to see how they how they live up to this upcoming weekend. If East Carolina pulls it off somehow this weekend, it will be the greatest accomplishment in ECU athletics history, and I don't hesitate in saying that. So, uh, no pressure, man. Just go, If you're ECU, nobody's going to expect you to win. Nobody. And I think that's when East Carolina is at its best. As Cliff Goblin said last night, that's what makes ECU special, man, the chip-on-the-shoulder mentality. And I think that favors ECU, at least from a mindset perspective, heading into this. And I know Vandy's good. But what are the chances they look at, hey, we're, we're hosting ECU in a Super Regional. You know, we should be able to roll them. Um, so we'll see, man. It'll be it'll be an interesting weekend of baseball. Again, we'll have a preview for you later in the week. Um, but that'll do it for this podcast, Jonathan. An exciting weekend uh, of coverage on Hoist the Colors. An exciting weekend inside Clark Leclerc Stadium. And just glad that they're still playing. But I appreciate you joining us all season long. And we'll hook up later this week. Yeah, man. It's been fun. Like we said, it's been a fun weekend. It's been a fun season. I'm not ready for it to end, so hopefully, you know, we'll talk later this week. We'll talk some Vandy, and hopefully when we talk again at the start of next week, then we're having one of the most exciting conversations in you that you ever could for an ECU fan. So, you know, hopefully we're not done. It's been a great year, and I'm excited to keep talking moving forward. For Jonathan Wagner, I'm Stephen Igo. Thank you guys for listening to the Hoisty Colors podcast. We'll be back with you later in the week for a super regional preview as East Carolina heads to Vanderbilt. Until then, you've been listening to the HTC podcast.
and winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.